This is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And our special guest for this week, Callum. Hello. So, today we're looking at minute 85 of About Time, which is at the third time we see the same party. I think it's great, actually, we didn't get to say this much, how the party, you know, plays a significance at the start and you don't expect it to come back later on. It's such a lovely sort of near near bookend of the film. I mean, you might know this, Luke or Rob, is this the most reoccurring event that we see happen in the film? Or would that be him meeting Mary? It would be the same, because he met Mary three times. Oh yeah, and they went back to the party three times. I think, technically, a deleted scene with Margot Robbie might be, but I'm not certain. I can't believe, I was going to mention this before, but I can't believe there are deleted scenes that include Margot Robbie. How are they not worthy for the film? Have you seen the deleted scenes? No, and I really want to now. Okay, Just... there's one that's really... There, there, there are two with Margot Robbie. One that's hilarious... And one that I can completely understand why it, why it was cut, but they they are they are good, they they are worth watching. I, the, the thing about the deleted scenes is I I only discovered them just before doing this show, and it was like watching a mini sequel to the film, just seeing them really? all. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, only in the sense of I saw this film for the first time years ago. Yeah, to then, yeah, yeah. To then suddenly have new material with all these yeah, people, yeah, yeah. it was like how did this, I not know this existed earlier? There's kind of naff versions on YouTube, but... Any any Margot Robbie content I am just here for, like, no matter the quality. The, the opening line is Jimmy saying, who's the pretty looking girl? It's Jennifer, isn't it? Obviously talking to Jennifer, who was the waving girl from earlier in the film. And Jennifer says, yeah. He says, wild. I like your skirt, Jennifer. And she says, thank I you. Don't. I haven't even looked at the visuals to see, to make my judgments on the skirt. Uh, well, we don't see it yet. We see it in a moment. And it doesn't match your shirt. So, do you think this might be a false compliment from Jimmy? <laughs> I think, I think well, going yes, by... I his, think this is a line. I, yeah, I think going by his character and what we've learned about him so far, we can safely assume that he's just uh, trying to hook up with this other girl. Because, like, like uh, Kit Kat realised, if he hadn't hooked up with her, he would have just gone for somebody else. And you can tell that he just doesn't value who he's with. It's just the act of being with somebody and the sort of status that that gives him which he cares about. And, yeah, you're right, Robert. Like, I mean, it's a nice skirt. It just doesn't suit the rest of the outfit. No. The shirt's really nice. Yeah, it's just... It is very strange. It's like it's like how a child would dress to a party. It's just like, I like both of these things. Let's put them together. But... To be fair, that's quite often how I dress. Because I have no sense of style. Jennifer says, thank you. Kika says, right, I get it. If he hadn't met me, he would have just had sex with someone else. Nip it in the bud, eh? I, I do love this bit here. Excuse me, Jimmy. Sorry, do I know you? Yes, you do. Very well. Sorry, um, this is what I should have done right at the start. And she punches him. It's such a great thing. Because it kind of, it's like she just doesn't understand the exact rules of time travel here. <laughs> it's just. It's great her sorry in the middle of that line is to Jennifer. Yeah, I think, Tim, we've talked about Kit Kat being quite naive at, at points, but I think it kind of switches in this scene because, like, I don't know how Tim didn't think of the possibility that Kit Kat would just go mental and, like, somehow end up causing physical harm to Jimmy. Well, if it uh, goes too bad, he can fix it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I doubt, I doubt Kit Kat was thinking of that when she went to punch him. 
No. Well, punch him, punch him, and then kick him. <laughs> so to verify here, the dad knows, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. that's... that. I yeah. was re-watching these uh, minutes earlier, and... Uh, I think what I didn't notice when I originally watched the scene is when they walk off, James gives them a sort of, uh, or he gives him, like, a look. Um, yeah, he knows. And, he, uh, he, but do you he think even he, hears him say something about the cupboard, so. Yeah. But also, do you think, I, I would, I'd be interested to have seen his reaction to, to the fact that, knowing. Yeah, to the fact that Tim physically brought her back in time, rather than interacting with past Kit Kat. So one thing I, mean. I forgot to ask is, how does Tim know that that was going to work, bringing her back in time? He doesn't. Because right. it's. Just... I mean, what what were his other options? Like, surely, I, th- I feel like now that he has this ability, whenever anything goes wrong in his life now, his first thought is thing. to his his first thought is to try and fix it through time travel. Well, also, he could be completely wrong. There's no evidence that Jimmy's the problem. Yeah, good point. And we kind of talked about that earlier, like when you mentioned, or in the last episode, like Rob, when you mentioned your yeah. interpretation of of the film ha- could yeah, be with no just, time travel. with no time travel and the time travel or the concept of time travel is just a coping mechanism. And yeah. we talked about that scene with Kit Kat and Tim on the bench when he's talking about the fact that he can time travel. Like, in a, in another version of the film, it could just be him, like, getting her to think about back to that moment. Yeah, she's and just she imagining this and she's like, so I wouldn't walk up to him if I had a chance to rewrite it. And then, there's like, then you just probably just hook up with some other girl. Yeah. So instead I'm going to go hit him so that he yeah. doesn't get another girl. Yeah, I, 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 I prefer this interpretation to my idea of it being Tim telling us a story, actually. I think this is great. I mean, it, it still works as both. I think this is... I mean, I suppose yeah. your interpretation of Tim telling a story works well because of the heavy use of narration throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, again, like I've said this past week, like, is one of those tropes that would usually infuriate me but somehow it does. I don't know whether it it's... works here because well, it's not just at the start and at the end. Like right. it, yeah. just, it actually comes back. And yeah. It does disappear God. for what was it, forty minutes or something like that? Yeah, Which but was... you don't notice. That's the thing. No, it's fine. So uh, yeah, Kit Kat says, "Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year!" And then Tim just says, "And back to the cupboard." <laughs> also, I love like even though he's out of focus when uh, Kit Kat's attacking Jimmy, you can just see him like give this little clap. In the background, uh-huh. he doesn't oh, yeah, know how to react. And Jay is grinning too, he liked it. Yeah. Maybe this is what, what first brought Kit Kat to Jay's attention. Yeah. Well, except this doesn't happen, so we'll see. Later, we don't know what actually happened at the New Year's party. Because by doing this, Tim probably doesn't hook up with Polly. Yeah, it, it's... Oh, yeah. And that was such a big deal to him at first, to kiss her, and then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just... um So yeah, Jay says, amazing... And Kit Kat says, what happens now? And Tim's hoping that from this moment on, you'll avoid the sleazy bad guys because they're sleazy and bad. Kit Kat says, when did you get so serious? <laughs> and he says, since. And that's where I'm in it ends today. Yeah. So actually, this doesn't lead to my problem with this whole part. But I'll get to that later, I guess. Next week. Tune in. Oh, what, what a hook. Any concluding thoughts on 85 before we go to our bonus minute thing? Yes. I have a big one for us. And this will continue in the next several weeks, probably. If Kit Kat doesn't meet Jimmy, Charlotte doesn't spend the summer at the house. And Jay is together with Kit Kat, so two things happen. Tim doesn't go to Dance Le Noir with Jay, because he's got a girlfriend. And so he doesn't meet Mary. And even if he does meet Mary some other way, 
he doesn't see Charlotte at the play, so he doesn't propose. Whoa. Yeah, see, this is where the Tim film... did not think this through. This is where the film But somehow he off. is still with Mary, just with a different child. Yeah. So... I feel like... Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, we don't know how much... I guess he didn't fix Kit Kat entirely, or Kit Kat and Jay take a while getting I mean, together. I mean, or, the thing is... Maybe, like, maybe he does... Maybe he double dates with Kit Kat and Jay in the Café Noir or something. I don't know. Well, who's he with? Eight? I mean, the, <laughs> the thing is, Richard Curtis, he presents all these ideas and rules about time travel, which are seen in pretty much every other sci-fi film or TV show. But then he kind of, he acknowledges them, but mm-hmm. then he shows us, he shows us that they're not important. And they're not what right. the films are about. That's, yeah, uh, that's what matters. And so I think that's, because he does that, that's why you're able to kind of disassociate yourself. Yeah, if with, you can suspend with, your disbelief enough to believe in the time travel in the first place, then you can suspend it enough to not pay attention to the rules. Yeah, because like many people have said, this isn't a time travel film. It's no. a, a, a rom-com. It's a family film. It's about a relationship between a father yeah. and son. And the time travel element is just a kind of... Uh, yeah, I, I tend to not mention you... time travel when I talk about it now. I'm like, it's a film about love between a couple relationships with family and relationship with friends, and it's about mm-hmm. like, the importance of living life in the moment. I forget to mention time travel. Well, I, I, it's often because the people I'm trying to promote the film to aren't time travel fans, so it's an easy way to get around it, but yeah. It's the flaws that you've just brought up, Rob. If we were talking about them in the context of a sci-fi film, yes, then of course exactly. they would be massive plot holes. And Even in this, they're not necessarily... Well, they're minor plot holes, because it's been a few years since this party. Other things could have happened in the meantime that he did meet Mary somewhere else, because it was fate. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, so it's okay. If it was, if you went back to, like, last week, and there were this many potential problems coming from it, it'd be a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's a few years ago, so it's like, it doesn't matter. I think Things still worked out okay. Because the film sort of juggles with so many sort of themes, like... It, it doesn't really have one main theme throughout, and that's not a criticism of it. It's I like real life. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what mm-hmm. I was going to say. I read this in someone's review. Like, it doesn't have a, a main theme throughout. Sometimes it's a rom-com. Sometimes it's about the relationship between a father and son. You know, it doesn't son, have a plot. Son. Yeah, but even in a rom-com, we already passed the ending. That's not a criticism. Yeah, that, that's not a criticism because no, that's no. what life's all about. You have different focuses throughout life, and different things are different levels of importance at different times. So, yeah, what rom-com ends with a dad being dead and having two kids? Like exactly. No, the rom-com ends ends with the wedding. Yeah, which we got a while ago. Exactly. The uh, that's what uh, surprised me when I came to rewatch it the other day is how early on the wedding is in the film, mm-hmm. uh, and how early on. Well, and as a Tim. rom-com, how brief Mary's and Tim's relationship is. She's not in the first half hour of the movie. Yeah. but also, And then they get married at what, the 40s or 50 minute but, mark? But also, when she does become a part of the film, like, the film isn't about him trying to get with her using time travel. Well, briefly gets, is, but Yeah, it briefly it is. But he gets with her, and their relationship develops quite quickly mm-hmm. like, after that. And, like, there's quite a few, like, fairly big time jumps. Yeah, the montage Which, covers a few months. Yeah, then the, they announce they're getting married, and we cut to wedding. Cut to a lot, a, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that the montage, mon, the various montages 
cover or what would probably be what the majority come... of the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it was a, a standard rom com. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting This when... is why Luke is wrong about this section of the film. <laughs> you you are you are leading me more and more to liking <laughs> it a lot more. I was like, it's it's such a minor problem I've got with it, which we'll talk about next week if I remember. If not, then you'll never know. It's, it's it really is interesting that we can go off on all these tangents about the themes of the film and and the sort of the what purpose time travel plays in the in the messages the film's trying to convey. Because it when I when you first told me about the idea for this podcast, I although I had good memories of the film, and although, like I said, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time I watched it uh, for this, I did think when you initially told me about it, well, that's a bit of an odd film to completely dedicate a podcast to, like, it it feels a bit like you're not going to get much substance from this, like, wishy-washy rom-com, but, you know, we've been talking about it for, like, hours, and the fact that we can talk about each individual minute for so long tells you how it's a sort of beautifully layered film. Yeah, uh, like it's making me appreciate it even more. And the cynic film critic inside of me is hating me for that, but I, I'm just trying to not not listen to that. And, I'm gonna say I, and... I love the like I, I don't think I've said it as much. I love the Kubrick, Tarantino, Edgar Wright, all these other. Like, I've, I've got no problem with these major films that everyone likes. I understand why they're such great films. But at the end of the day, if I want a film where I don't have to focus so much on, oh, wow, look at these artsy camera angles, or look at what they've done there, I want a film that, that feels like a warm hug, I'll go to a Richard Curtis rom-com. Yeah. And I think, especially at this current time, I mean, who knows whether this current climate is still happening when you're listening to this, but we're recording during lockdown while things are slowly getting loosened, but I'm, I fear whether, whether they'll that, get, yeah, whether they'll get tightened again is, I guess I is, fear even that could be temporary because the number yeah. of yeah. breakings of rules I've seen anyway. But during this dark, dark time, we don't want to watch dark, gruesome horror films about the end of the world. We want a film that's a warm hug, and that's what this country needs now, is films like About Time, films like Notting Hill, films like Four Weddings, films which you can just watch and go, how wonderful is the life that we're living? How great are all these little things that we can appreciate? And just feel the comfort of these situations. And I just, I think now's a better time than ever. Also, I think that's why, I mean, this is going... Kind of off I feel like that's completely. the deepest I've gone on the show. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that should be like the the trailer for the film, or like the final moments of the final episode. You should just play that line again. I'll, but, I'll, I'll clip it and put it on our social media when this episode comes out. Yeah, that'd be good. But I, I mean, what I was going to say was it what you've just said there about having these films that are just like a comfort blanket in these times. I think that's kind of what's happening with the, all these Doctor Who communal rewatches that have been going on. I'd, I don't know, uh, Rob, but if you yeah. uh, know about any of them, but like it just all, all started from this one fan on Twitter organising for people to watch an episode at the same time, all from their own homes, and tweeting along about it, and it's brought the fandom together in, in such a lovely way, 
that no, everyone, no, I, I think... I stopped a couple of weeks in after literally running out of time to do them. Well, but yeah, it's, no, it's I, so brilliant I, seeing that this I, stuff's still going on. And I've missed a few out, but like it's it's just amazing to see the impact that it's having. It's just a diverse it's... community where you're normally constantly arguing about things that you can all just sit and enjoy. Like, personally, for me, a lot of the episodes that are being rewatched, I wasn't sort of part of the online fandom when they initially aired. And so it's like, because I often, I mean, this is a segment of this episode, so I don't know, I may be kind of coming at this a bit preemptively, but you, I assume, were going to ask me where uh, if I could go back in time. Where this is a time go? travel film. We can do it out of order if we want to. Yeah, you can, you can put this bit at the end if you want. Too much. Where, where, where it would normally go. But, like, I was gonna say for where would I go to if I could go back in time, my answer was gonna be to when I first watched Doctor Who for the first time and relive that moment of, of being introduced to the show that's changed my life and, and shaped me in terms of my personality and my passions and having I, I always say oh I wish I could have been old enough to be part of the the online community when that episode aired and these rewatches are kind of almost the closest I'm going to get to time traveling back to yeah. when those episodes initially aired yeah. so which episode was your first episode it was uh it was one that has been included in the rewatches actually it was the stolen earth journey's end huh. Which is quite an episode to it's be... a good way to in, start, yeah. Yeah, it's quite a big, big episode to be introduced. Well, I mean, I could be making this all up, because, you know, I was... How old was I? Three, four, five, six... I was, like, five when that episode okay. came out. Uh, you see, my, and, in, my introduction was my dad showing me the DVD of Dalek when I was three. I think I mean, Dalek the... was the first one. I'm not certain. I might have made that up. I just... Look. It's the first one I remember. I mean, the memory I have is being at my cousin's house and we were watching, like, Hannah Montana or something. And they said, like, all the grown-ups were, like, talking in the in the kitchen and stuff. And we were sat through there. And they were all, like, they're, they're both slightly older than me. And they said to me, oh, Callum, can we put Doctor Who on? And I, having no idea what it was, was just like, yeah, sure. Like, I had nothing better to do. And then that was it. I just became hooked and was a, I've been a fan ever since. But Strange whenever... one to start with in terms of the, the number of plot holes it's tying up. Exactly, but, I mean, whenever I've mentioned that story to my cousin since, they deny ever being that into Doctor Who. Like, they, they said they, oh, they only really ever watched it if it was, like, the only thing on. Like, mm. they, they were never that big of a fans. So, I don't know, I, I refuse to believe that I've made that up, because it feels like such a vivid memory. But that's what I go with when people say what was your first Doctor Who episode that you watched. Yes. Anyway, that was a huge tangent. And that's the but, first uh, time we've done this one. segment before our bonus minute. So, oh, well, okay. yeah. Unless well, you've got before any. Before we get to the bonus know. minute, I have a comment on that one. Because the first Doctor Who episodes I watched from start to finish, I watched two on the same day. Because a friend recommended it. Were Blink and then Vincent and the Doctor. Nice. Oh. So, and there we go. We've talked about it on the show. Come, yeah, coming yeah. back to Richard Curtis. I, uh-huh. wow, yeah. And was the second one I watched. Did they, did they work for you? Did they get you? Well, yes, I, I immediately started watching, I forget which the new episode was that weekend, but I watched that weekend. Yeah, I find it weird. The number of times I've talked about Doctor Hill on the show, and I haven't even asked you whether you watched it. <laughs> I don't think. Manuel, I think you mentioned classic Doctor Who on American Netflix at one point. I've seen some, yeah, of those. Yeah. And then they left, then they took them off Netflix, and so I stopped. 
I need to get properly back into the classics. Like, I've got a few random ones out of order, and it's like, I enjoy Classic Who when I watch it. I can just never get myself into... I'm exactly the same. Like, I started collecting the classic DVDs a while back, but I started collecting them just as the Blu-ray box set started coming out. So then I was like, right, here's my perfect opportunity to collect the classic series and start watching it. But I've collected all these Blu-ray box sets. You know, how many are we on now? We're on the seventh Blu-ray box set. And I've barely watched any of them, you know, because it's just, I think it is quite a, it's quite a commitment. No matter how good an episode it is, or good how good a story it is, it's quite a commitment to sit down and watch a whole classic Who story. Yeah, because it's a whole serial. And, I mean, I know technically you should start with, like, Unearthly Child and stuff, but then you know you're going to be skipping some, and you know they're going to be quite slow at the start as well. And also, that you've, you, you haven't got any choice, you've got to skip some episodes, because they're, like, missing. Yeah, I feel like OCD, that would just... Mm. <laughs> so, bonus minute... Eh. Anyway, so yeah, to no. sum up, if I was going to go back in time, I would go back to when I first watched Doctor Who and relive that moment again. Um, so, what bonus minute did we send you? Because I emailed it ages ago. Well, I only, I only uh, watched it for the first time today, and I was so pleased with the minute it is, because I was talking to Katie and saying, oh, you got such a good scene to talk about. Like, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to say much about my minutes. But then I looked at the bonus minute. I love the concept of you're, you're discussing our show outside. Like, I like, I like this. It's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was a huge, uh, way of saying my bonus minute is when James is preparing to tell Tim that the men in the family can time travel. Okay. Oh, that was a good one I chose. Although admittedly, I'm kind of surprised I didn't choose the party. <laughs> like, that would have. We've already used that. A yeah, we've done minutes. it quite a lot actually. Yeah, that's probably We've why. been to the party like six times. Yeah. I suppose this bonus minute does tie into the minutes we talked about because in the minutes we talked about it's Kit Kat finding out about the time travel and then in the bonus minute Tim it's Tim yeah. finding out. So yeah, in the in the main minutes that we've been talking about, the roles are kind of reversed. Yeah, no, I see that, yeah. So I think it, it's, it does tie in quite a bit, even if that was unintentional or not. So yeah, I mean, did, did I put the number of the minute in your title just to check that I've... Uh, hang on. It's seven, maybe? It says, I think it's five. Bo- five, it okay. says bo- bonus minute and then brackets five. Okay, it's five, yeah. All right. Then I'm just going to try and scroll up to that on the transcript. And we can read through the dialogue quickly. It's, it's, it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually get to the point where he tells him. It starts from the bit where Kit Kat jumps on top of him in bed and says, Dad wants to see you. Oh, I bet that's why I chose it then, the Tim and Kit Kat relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you said that, that makes sense. Because I try and choose them for a specific reason, and then I tend Mm -hmm. to impress myself by the time I'm recording it, because I don't (laughs) remember what I did, and then I'm like, oh, I was clever with that. So, Well, as we've just discussed, there are multiple reasons you could have included the scene. Yeah, because there isn't really many long scenes with Kit Kat and Tim. You just see glimpses of their relationship throughout the film. Also, There's a museum, but it's no conversation. Yeah, the also, main long scene is here. Something I haven't mentioned so far, just a random thing that I noticed. All the minutes that I've like heard you talk about or I've watched in preparation for the podcast, they all end at like a really satisfying point. Like barely any of them end in like the middle of a sentence or anything. Like it's all quite like neatly tied up. I'm um, surprised by how well these work. To be honest, yeah. That, cause yeah. I, that's, that was the thing I was worried about when you asked me to come on, like, that we were just gonna be ending up talking about, like, half a scene. So, 
means the editor had a really good sense of timing. Yeah. Yeah, I bet Richard Curtis had uh, this podcast in mind when he was making the film. <laughs> well, no, he listened to this episode and then went back in time yes! and watched the film. And re-edited it. <laughs> exactly. I think I think my favourite one of the mid-sentence edits, though, was that one episode where we concluded with Harry opening the door and saying, What the... Uh, and, then, and, then, and then it stopped there. <laughs> and our next episode opened with the continuation with... of that. Oh, yeah. Ooh. By the way, the editor is Mark Day, who also edited one of my other favorite movies, Ex Machina. I watched Ex Machina the other day because I I'd seen it before, but I wanted to rewatch it partly because I hadn't seen it in ages, and partly to watch something else that Domino Gleeson was in. And I forgot how incredible it is. I've oh, only yeah. watched it it's once. But I need so to watch it good. Again. Is it still on Netflix? Uh, yes. yes. Bro. Yeah, because uh, I, when I made a, a I made a list on Letterbox a while back of my favorite films, and I put Ex Machina in there despite having only seen it once, and despite mm-hmm. and despite not actually remembering that much about it, I just remembered really enjoying it. So then I was like, okay, I need to watch it again and see if it is really one of my favorite films. And so this was a good opportunity to rewatch it. And Oh, it's so good. in a little over a year, tune in to Minutia Ex Machina. Oh, yes. Hosted by me. Definitely. I want to pre-book guest spots. I, I don't know the format if it's going to have guests or not yet, but I uh, maybe. Well, if you do, I am more than happy to get involved in that one. Yeah, I saw it once, and not in the best way to have watched it, probably. I downloaded it on my phone while driving on our way to go on holiday, I think. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Or... I don't know whether it was on our way to go on holiday or whether I just watched it like while we were on holiday in between going to different places or what it was. But I really enjoyed it, which is it's an odd cinematic experience to be sitting watching it on your phone in the back of a car. Yeah. But it, it's got that sort of Kubrick style, do you think, as well? Like I like the I, I like a slow paced yeah. film. Yeah. And I'm not a sci fi fan, really. Like the stuff I like about Doctor Who is like I don't like all the future stories, I like the character stories. Uh huh. Well, I'm I'm kind of similar because like Whenever I tell someone I'm a Doctor Who fan, they instantly think, oh, are you, like, obsessed with Star Wars and Marvel and that as well? And I'm not. I've never seen a Star Wars film, and I've only just started making my way through the MCU. Yeah, my dad's tried to force me through Star Wars, and I haven't started. For the record, Star Wars is fantasy, not science fiction. Okay, fair enough. But I'm a nitpicker. Yeah. (laughs) Does it not count as sci-fi? Oh, everyone counts it as sci-fi, but those people are wrong. (laughs) Why? I because mean, there's no science in that film. Any of them. Well, no. There's one conversation about science, and everyone hates that conversation. It's when they talk about midichlorians. Half of sci-fi is the word fantasy. So... To get, they kind fiction. of merge a yeah. lot. Yeah. But it's wizards with swords. That's uh-huh. fantasy. I guess. It's, um, it's Harry Potter in space. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the other thing I was going to do with yeah. lockdown, was rewatch the Harry Potter films, because I liked them, but I only watched or them. Or Harry Potter and Star Wars in London. See, that's another thing. I've I've seen all the Harry Potter films, and I enjoy them all. Like, I'll, I'll happily sit through one, but I'm not, like, obsessed with them. Yeah, I, the I, I just know so many people who, moved on. I know so many people who are obsessed with them that I'm like, I need to watch them through again, just to, like... Yeah, and also, I mean, I've probably... I can't I can't tell you how, how many times I've seen each one, but whenever I see people say, like, what their favourite one is and what their least favourite one is, I find myself, like... Which one was that? ...disagreeing with them. Like no no okay. not no you not you yeah. know which ones they're talking about but yeah okay. yeah yeah but like I find the first three films maybe the first two films like really boring because it's just Harry like getting used to the fact that he's a wizard and being a 
like and the directors are trying little kid. Uh, okay, complete opposite. I love the Columbus Harry Potter films. Uh, yeah, yeah, all me. right. Azkaban's fine because the director's at least trying something. But like, no, I don't get that. Wasn't... But I think I think I I like the more comedy side of things. I think that's what it is. And heck, to link to about time, Rich Griffiths. To link to this podcast, Simon Fisher Becker. We've got all the links. You got all the all the sh- all the strands, all the links. So our bonus minute. <laughs> 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 Tim narrates, and so I woke up the next morning, hungover, ashamed. What a brilliant way to start the minute. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's, they're not like mid. So I woke up the next morning, hungover, ashamed of myself, and not realizing it was the day that would change my life forever. So I wake and, up every morning. Mm-hmm. And Kit Kat says, "Get up, stupid. Dad wants you." Oh, hello, sexy pajamas. That that weird. Oh, line. See, we've been talking about their odd relationship. That is another moment of that. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I feel I like the concept, but the choice of words. Yeah. It's just, maybe it would have been fine if she wasn't lying on top of him. Yeah. I mean, even that line would have been fine if she'd said it in a sort of like taking the mick way. Like she says it in a way that's like we haven't, we don't know her enough at this point either. Yeah. You're unsure whether she's being serious or not. In the commentary, uh, Donald Gleeson, I think, at the start of the scene said, oh, here's the incest scene. Ha, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to mention it, but that's the the tone you get, you do get from this scene, especially because it's so early on in the film. Yeah, and then we get our first introduction to James. Ah, Tim, come in. Do sit down. And Tim says, that's very formal. And Dad says, well, um, yeah, this is an odd moment for me because I had the same moment with my father when I just turned 21. And after it, my life was never the same. So I approach it pretty um, nervously. And Tim says, okay, when you're ready, it's all very mysterious. <laughs> and the dad says, uh, right, Tim, my dear son, the... And that's where we finish. Oh, I'll just, can I just start by mentioning, because he's not been in any of the minutes that I've talked about in, in the past week. Bill Nye. Bill Nye. He's just great, isn't he? Best part of this film. And that, yeah. um, this film's got Kit Kat and Desmond. So. And also, I know you've said it and before. Margaret. I mean, I don't know how long ago you've said it. By the time this episode uh, is months released, months and months but, ago. But in in the uh, first few episodes, you were saying about how Bill Nye basically just plays himself, and that is the yeah. one thing I couldn't stop thinking about when I was watching the film. And I feel like he's the kind of actor that almost does that in all his films, even though he's playing a different character, like in all his right, films. Right, you need that type of character you cast like, Bill Nye. Yeah, he's like, oh, that's Bill Nye. Like, but I think he's, when he's, he's being just, horrible, I don't know. Because I feel like but, Bill Nye just feels infinitely, ni- infinitely nice. Yeah. <laughs> like so, when he's horrible in things, I don't know. It's just it, it, what? it's it's weird. Well, it was weird at first seeing him being nice in this, and now this is how I picture Bill Nye. In I fact, mean, there was what? A Twitter thread a while ago about someone listing every time they've met Bill Nye randomly in public, <laughs> and people were commenting about all their incidences meeting Bill Nye, and he seems to be really, really nice. I mean, what I was going to mention was I didn't realize just quite how many of my favorite films Bill Nye is in. Like, he's in every single one of the Cornetto trilogy, which is obviously the trilogy yeah. directed by Edgar Wright and starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, mm-hmm. which are my favourite films. He's, despite how minor a character he is, I think his most significant role is probably in Shaun of the Dead. But yeah, he's in every single one of them. And Also just, starring mm. national treasure Penny Wilton as well. <laughs> yes, Harriet Jones, of course. But yeah, he's in every single one of them. And no matter how long he's on screen for, he's just just brilliant. 
Even in the world's end, he's not actually on screen. You just hear his voice because he's playing the aliens that are invading. And he's just, <laughs> he's just great. Like, oh, he's somehow he's... a flexible actor while playing the same part. Bill Nye's voice is just, it's just entertaining. Like, no matter what he's saying. He's Bill just... Nye, if you want more people to hear your voice, email me and guest on the show. <laughs> Luke Luke We've talked about this briefly already, I think. But he was obviously in the Doctor episode that was penned by Richard Curtis. Uh, the yep. of the Doctor, which is obviously a fan favourite episode. And even though his scenes in that episode are quite brief, they're very sort of pivotal to the story. And I just love his look at the end when Van Gogh has like thanked him for everything he's said about him. And he just like looks around as they've left and is like, is that? No, surely not. No, no, it can't be. And it's just that like, it's just one moment of, of kind of like, uh, you, you can't describe it, but he's just, he's just brilliant. He can say so much with just his face and his mannerisms. He's brilliant. One more film, more a sort of childhood favourite is, uh, Flushed Away. I don't know if you all have heard of that. I don't, I don't think it was big, but I did see it. It's quite, I just, I, I just looked it up and I'm like, yeah, I saw this. I think it's quite underrated for a kids animated film. I, I, I remember liking it, but I was very little, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, And okay. it wasn't on my watch list on Letterboxd, so. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it in a while. Wait, actually, is it on my watch list? Or my watched? Uh. Yeah. I, I, I just don't go back, to be honest. It would take way too oh, much I do. time. When I first got I Letterboxd. went, I went year by year and just picked things. When I, when I first got Letterboxd, I literally spent like ages just like going through every single, like I looked at my like shelf full of DVDs and just went through every single one. And then. I made an Excel sheet comparing my letterboxed list to my IMDb list that I've been making for like a decade and a half. And then also, uh... Now the letterbox one is the more thorough one. Yeah, so, I mean, my my letterbox is accurate in terms of dates from the end of last year onwards, but it's also accurate in 2017, because in 2017 I did a Twitter thread of every film I saw that year, so I had the dates of when I saw them, so I was able to, like, input them. So yeah, that was all I was going to say, is that Bill Nye plays a big white uh, butch rat, oh no, mouse, in Flushed Away, and it's very It's a heck of a good cast, looking at it on yeah. Letterboxd, I hadn't realised who's in it. Yeah, well, because they're all playing such sort of caricatures, you can't, you sometimes can't tell who the voice is. Uh, Bill Nye can play a lovely, caring father. And he can play a butch white rat. No, mouse. Why do I keep thinking he's a rat? Um, so yeah, that tells you everything you need to know about, about Bill Nye, you think. W- would you agree? Yeah, probably. So, I yeah. can't think of a bad Bill Nye role. Maybe that should be the topic of your new podcast, the, the search for a bad Bill Nye film. Yeah, each week we look at a new Bill Nye film. With the hope that eventually he'll be bad at acting. <laughs> I mean, hang on, let me go on Letterboxd and find the lowest rated Bill Nye film. It's a film called, an animated film called Norm of the North. <laughs> about a po- about a polar bear called yeah. Norm. And it has, overall it has one star. But guarantee uh, he was still a good actor in it. Yeah, I bet he was. He's not even the main actor in it, so it can't be all to do with him. Have you got anything specific to promote, like any, I mean like, you know, your film or something uh, else that you... Yeah, like, like I've said in the previous previous episodes, you can follow me on Instagram at Cal Reed Productions 
where I post about all my latest work to do with films and photography and stuff, which is mostly being done at the moment in conjunction with college assignments. But on there, you will find a link to my first short film I did as part of the college assignment. That's just a little three-minute short film uh, called People Watching, which you can see. It's on YouTube. But yeah, it's a great film. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we were pleased with it overall. And hopefully we will be able to work on some more projects together after we can all go outside again. Like I've said in the previous episodes, if you want to keep up to date with what I'm doing, then you can follow me on there. And if you just want to see me ramble about Doctor Who and films in general, you can follow me on Twitter at CallumReed underscore and on Letterboxd at CalReed. So, Robert, where can they find you on social media? Lemmingdrops.com or Robert E.G. Black on social media and... I'm feeling weird, so I'm going to probe the only film I've ever made, which is a four-minute thing I made for Korean class, which I believe is on my YouTube channel. I don't know, Robert E.G. Black. It's called Chusakesa Serene. I need to see this. I was going to ask you the other day whether you'd made any films. I'm in it. I directed it. I wrote it. Oh, nice. I still don't know what the final monologue is because the guy ad-libbed and (laughs) couldn't keep up with the Korean. So, I mean, is it a film that I'm going to watch and, like, is it subtitled or do we, I'm going to watch it? It's not, not subtitled. Know. You won't know, but it's only four minutes long and it's a really simple setup. It's a police find a dead body. Okay. And the listeners can find me on Twitter, llama underscore bottle zero, Instagram, the ginger luke, Facebook, Luke Allen film, all podcasts, radio appearances, short films, newspaper articles, and actually not just short films, any project I do, music videos, uh, for different people. Um, I'm currently editing a load of videos for comedian Andy Kind. So all of them are on his YouTube channel or at lukeallen.co.uk forward slash Andy, where all of the ones that I've done are listed. There's a few on there which other people have edited. And uh, this show's on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Men's About Time. They can also join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to discuss this show and all our tangents and have more tangents and stuff. Here's an interesting way to say goodbye. Catch you later, future dudes. Wow. <laughs> that was very hip. Or it will be. I- I feel like I need to lie down after that. It's just too hip and trendy. We've got that 18 to 35 market now. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. (laughs) 